On today's show, how do you escape the trap of one-time projects and convince your clients that they need what you have to offer on a repeat basis? That's part of the hurdle Aureli faces as she aims to grow her three-year-old freelance business. Aureli has worked with some huge clients like Wendy's and the United Nations, but almost all of her work has been one-off projects, which naturally has its limitations. And so we walk Aureli through a few options for building repeat client work into her business in order to make her company more scalable and predictable. It all starts right now on Freelance to Founder. Here we go. I'm Preston. And I'm Clay. And this is Freelance to Founder. Clay and I have both been there, barely making ends meet as a freelancer, knowing there has to be more. But since then, we've each built multiple six or seven figure businesses. And now it's your turn. On this show, we're changing the lives of everyday freelancers just like you. Discovering this podcast a few months ago really like changed the trajectory of my journey. I'm not sure I would even be thinking about pushing this forward as much as I am if it weren't for YouTube. This has been really helpful and I, I think a good mindset shift for me. Really, really valuable stuff. I've made a ton of notes and I plan to put this stuff into action immediately. Discovering that I'm a founder instead of freelancer has been amazing for me. If you're ready to push past hourly rates and build a business that sets you free, then you've got to join us. You can call in yourself by visiting freelance2founder.com. We can't wait to chat with you. We'll be back with today's caller after this. Whether you want to travel more or communicate better with international clients, you need to try Babbel. I've used Babbel's courses and you can do the same in order to learn real life conversation skills in a different language, order food, ask for directions, or speak to clients without having to use translation apps. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash freelance. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash freelance, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash freelance. Rules and restrictions apply. When you wake up in the morning and check your phone, does it feel like this or like this? Because with Shopify, your morning can feel like this way more often. That's the sound of a sale being made on your new Shopify store. And while client payments may require weeks or months of work, you can start generating a semi-passive income to grow your business by setting up a Shopify store all of your own. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your latest designs on shirts or bags or adding something totally different to your business, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. You can sell online, you can sell in person, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. With Shopify, you can set up your store in minutes and start selling immediately. And Shopify's award-winning support is there to help you as you go. Sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash freelance. That's all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash freelance to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash freelance or click the link in our show description and start waking up to this. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Freelance to Founder. My name is Preston Lee with Milo.co. And of course, joining me on the air today is my good friend Clay Mosley from getdripify.com. Hey, Clay. Hey. That's I'm it. trying to figure That's all I get. <laughs> I'm trying to figure, you know, we do this quite often. And I'm trying to figure out all the different ways I can say hello. <laughs> I decided to go with hey today. Yeah. Uh, you can start expanding into different languages, you know. Oh, there we go. There we uh, go. Yeah. 
old, I need old to get fashioned it, I need 90s to, slang. I need to ask our guests how to do it in French. Uh, salut, Aurélie. Yep. Bonjour. Ça va? Ça va bien. <laughs> uh, we're joined by Aurélie. She's calling from New York, but originally from Belgium, speaks French. We're getting to know each other a little bit before the call, but mm. welcome to the show, Aurélie. Thank you so much. Absolutely. We're excited to have you. Why don't you start off by telling our listeners a little bit about your business, um, kind of clients you work with, what kind of services you offer, things like that. Okay, great. I'm a data scientist. I specialize in data visualization. Uh, I started my career at the United Nations and then I moved to freelancing about three years ago. I have very different type of clients from e-commerce, consulting company, nonprofits, uh, United Nations, a little bit of uh, everything. Excellent. And you've been freelancing for three years full-time? Yes. I quit the UN um, and then I started freelancing a few months later once I got my uh, my visa, uh, work permit. And then um, I initially wanted to do it just for a few weeks when I was applying for jobs. And then one month in, I decided that's what I wanted to do full-time. I could match my salary within three weeks and then I just decided to take the leap. Oh, man. I love that. I love that. Um, congratulations. That's yeah. awesome. And, and, Within and... three weeks. That's amazing. <laughs> right? Yeah, it was pretty nice. I wasn't expecting it. So, <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm not sure I've heard that really before where it's like I wasn't really planning on doing it full time, but it, I had so much fun uh, mm -hmm. and it went so well that I just decided, yeah, this is the right path for me. So, so is freelancing something you had never really considered before? Um, I thought that I wanted to have my business, but like in my 30s, 40s, much later. Hmm. Um, I didn't think it would come that early in my career, but, but that's definitely something I wanted to do at some point in my life. Yeah, cool. I love it. And uh, so so for three years, we've been working with clients. Tell us a little bit about, for those of us who don't understand what a data scientist does, maybe as well as we would like to, tell us what you, maybe give us an example of a project you might do for a client real quick. Um, sure. So what I do is I basically bridge the gap between data and people. Um, and I help non-data people integrate data into the work stream. So a few examples, um, for example, with uh, Wendy's, the, the fast food company, I helped about 100 stores um, get access to KPIs and key data information on um, their mobile phone so that field managers could access uh, key data on the go and could make decisions without having to dig uh, manually for information. Hmm. Um, other example is uh, with Gaddison, um, a puzzle company, I built a model to predict sales and inventory to make sure that they could buy enough uh, puzzles that they would need uh, for the next six to 12 uh, months. Um, last example would be United Nations. I developed a dashboard to help them uh, quickly analyze and visualize a uh, nationwide uh, survey. So, so you, don't, you don't necessarily... Helping... Let's go ahead. Go ahead. So you don't necessarily collect the data. No. Um, uh, when I arrive, all the data is already there. Usually yeah. it's a little bit messy and they need um, some kind of uh, data pipeline to make it easy to access, but people are already collecting data. And by now I would say most businesses, whether they know it or not, they do collect data. Hmm. So, so basically like when you're explaining all of this, I just think you're like Russell Crowe in a beautiful mind. That movie. Have you seen it? No, I haven't it, seen it. <laughs> Preston, have you seen it? I haven't seen it either. Oh my God. So like, <laughs> 
Someone right. out there, someone out there listening is going, yes, I get it. I get the he's reference. Basically, he's basically like a, a code a code breaker. Ah. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> that joke just did not go very well. Well, yeah, when neither of us have seen it, what do you expect? I'm sorry to let you down. That's our bad. But, it won a whole bunch of awards. How can you not see it? You're going to go. Okay, you both have to go see this movie now. Window. Okay, sounds good. Whatever. Um, <laughs> Whatever. Keep going. What, why am I on this podcast? <laughs> to to inform us of movies we haven't seen that are important uh, cultural icons, you know? Yes. Okay. Continue, please. <laughs> Aureli, let's, uh, let's keep talking about your business here. We listeners of the show know that we do this little questionnaire before you come on the show. And by the way, if you'd like to join us like Aureli is today, we'd love to have you. Um, you just visit freelance2founder.com. You scroll to the bottom of the page, and there's a place to sign up on a calendar and to submit a little bit of information about your business so that we can hopefully help you out, overcome some hurdles. Um, Aureli, you you submitted that on, on the questionnaire we ask on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being a freelancer, 10 being a founder. Where are you now? Where would you like to be a year from now? And you put that you're currently at a 2, closer to a freelancer. Um, you'd like to be maybe more like a 5 and have maybe a few more systems set up and things like that. Why don't you walk us through what your business might look like at a 5? Uh, yep. So right now I put it as a two. I have a steady flow of clients. Um, I delegate some of my easy data tasks to uh, to my brother, but I don't have any. Um, I don't have any other freelancers working for me. I don't have any employees. Mm. Um, I also don't have a recurring um, pricing system in place. So it's kind of like if I don't get work done, then I just don't get any money. Um, and it's. Uh, I would say very unsustainable in the next five to 10 years. So I'd like to develop something that is more like a five where I have more control over my pipeline. Um, I have different type of acquisition channel and I have, I would say a team of maybe two to five uh, freelancer that I can rely on when I have too much more so that they can help me with a project and can help me with scaling. I love that. Very clear picture of where you're headed. I think this is an important distinction for people too, is like, I, I, I don't know, Clay, if you, you maybe disagree, but for me, one of the biggest factors on this scale that we've set up, you know, freelancer to founder, one of the biggest differentiators is this ability to separate yourself from the hours that need to be worked in your business. Hmm. Um, even if you have like tons of employees or tons of people or tons of processes, if you can't make money without you personally, like clocking in every day and doing the work hour by hour. I still think you're you're still a freelancer for the most part. I don't know thoughts. Yeah, I, I'd say I'd say that's true to some degree. You know, um, I think it's, and this is why we push recurring revenue, right? It's yeah. like that recurring yeah. revenue is going to is going to be made regardless of how many hours you work that month, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously you got to keep up your clients, but it's not a it's not a direct trade trade time for money mm -hmm. thing but yeah, yeah i really that. trading value speaking of uh speaking of recurring revenue we did host that five-day recurring revenue challenge we hosted it live with about 20 freelancers but we did record it uh if you would like to access that you can go to freelance to founder.com slash challenge i think i saw in your notes or that you uh viewed the the challenge as well yep i did it in september end of september early october um, I heard about it when I was listening to the podcast and I thought it was very interesting because it's something I'm trying to do. 
And I found it extremely useful, especially all the references to uh, different websites that I can use and how you can actually set it up. Um, it was a very cool uh, workshop. That's also why I then signed up for this podcast. <laughs> Well, great. Thank you so much. Yeah. And if you want to check that out again, you can go to freelance2founder.com slash challenge. It's a five day. We did live Zoom calls with, again, uh, you know, a handful of freelancers and it was a lot of fun. Uh, it's a lot of fun to just watch the the recordings of that. And it'll definitely help you get some clarity around recurring revenue in your business. Maybe that's something you want to aim for. Um, we recommend it, obviously, and, and we'd love to have you partake in that as well. So um, Aureli, let's talk about where your business is headed. What what do you feel like is maybe standing in your way? Um, where can we help uh, get you to that five that you're envisioning? Um, so I think there are two main things where I would need a little bit of help. Um, until now, I've relied almost exclusively on Upwork to find new clients and projects. Um, and my goal in 2024 is to grow and really diversify where I find uh, projects and clients, but I have no idea um, where to start. I have, a pre, I have a clear idea of why I want to diversify, but I have no idea how to actually do it. Mm. Um, it's been so um, easy with Uplink in the last three years that I feel like I'm a completely, I'm a complete beginner when it comes to finding um, projects outside of the platform. Mm. So you've been using Upwork mostly or almost exclusively, it sounds like. It's, it's yeah. really interesting. Uh, I have the, a. I would say oh, the ahead. only client that I got, I, I got one client through uh, word of mouth, and then one client through the UN, uh, also recommendation from another UN team. But the rest is just a punk. And is there is there you know something you're not liking about Upwork, or um, or you just want to make sure that you're not reliant solely on one platform? Um, I do like a punk. I would like to be able to market myself better. Um, and a punk, you don't have a lot of uh, flexibility on how you, you market who you are. You just have one page and that's it. Um, the other thing is I've noticed in the last 18 months that I don't get any contract. If I apply for a contract, I just have contracts because clients just reach out directly to me through the platform. Um, and mm. I want to make sure that I have more control over my pipeline, that if I want to take two new projects next week, I can just put in the wrong to find new projects instead of just waiting for people to come to me. Um, and then I think that they, like, it's always a good idea to diversify so that you don't rely solely on one source of, um, mm. yeah. of contracts. Yeah, I, I will say neither Clay nor I have built um, built our businesses using Upwork. And so, I you know, we could maybe have another guest back another day or I could connect you with some friends. I, I, uh, I have quite a number of friends who have done really well on Upwork. Um, but we can definitely help with this idea of like, how do I find clients outside of a platform, right? How do I, how do I get predictable new clients every month? And I think I'm curious what you've tried so far um, to try to get clients outside of Upwork or other platforms. Uh, I haven't tried much. It's my goal for 2024. I haven't tried <laughs> much right now. I would say I sent a few emails, but it was very, um, it was just like maybe 10 or 15, which I say, I know yeah. it's not enough to get started with it. Um, I know I need to get started with content. I just haven't had the time to do it yet. Um, and I just feel so lost with everything that can be done that I don't even know where to actually start to focus mm. my phones. The other issue that I have is my pipeline is pretty full for the next three to six months, um, yeah. which means that the, the motivation to spend time 
on that is a little bit difficult to find. Like the absolutely, we talked about right this, now, right? Um, like um, finding the right balance. When your pipeline yeah. is full, you don't want to do the marketing, but then that's how you fall into the feast famine because then you're done. Your pipeline is mm -hmm. you're done with those projects, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I don't have any more work. Clay, where does someone start when uh, when they're not sure what marketing to start with? Uh, well, first of all, I just have to say, like, I think I think every business owner um, needs to time block an hour every single day on sales and marketing like every day every work day regardless of how like it, it doesn't matter how busy you are like we're all busy but like we can all time block an hour a day of sales and marketing this is how you don't this is how you don't allow your pipeline to dry up hmm. right mm -hmm. so like for me for example i i have an hour in the morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. where I'm doing some sort of sales activity. And this could be like pitching. It could be um, following up with prospects. It's just this is all I do from in that one hour time block. So it's, it's important to do this every day and make it imperative and make it a non-negotiable. Because uh, it just like Preston said, it's like it's super easy and comfortable to not do that when you know you have six months worth of work. So if you have to make it to where your projects are, are, are expanded to seven months instead of six months, because you're taking an hour a day to do sales and marketing, then that's what I would do. Yeah. It's worth it. Yeah. Um, so that's, I, I, I just had to, I had to say that. Um, so I have a question. Um, who what's the title of these people that you're you're dealing with uh with these clients um, usually it's a uh, senior management so either the ceo cto um all of the c uh c people okay um it's because the change it comes from senior management where they say i want the company to become more data driven and then they kind of force the change on the team how did you get how did you land the job with wendy's they came to me from they how did they find you at funk yeah through upwork who, who did you deal with over there uh the ceo of the franchise see oh okay so it's it's someone who owns you say a hundred yes so someone who owns a hundred wow. franchises of wendy's yes correct okay um that's interesting uh well i i you know, even though Preston and I have not um, built our businesses on Upwork, I, I still think it's a predictable platform. Mm. And it's very similar to like cold calls or or cold messages. It, it's predictable. Like you can go and pitch, you know, um, X number of people and you're going to get one job out of it, right? It's what what that number is, is we don't know right until you yeah. actually do it it could be a hundred challenge right is yeah that number is but like the the point here is is that that number exists it, it exists it, it might be 50 it might be 500 but it exists and we i think the first thing you ought to do is find out what that number is because in the future if you if you get in a if you get in a um in a bind where you have a, a, a sales slump and you, you need 
you need two projects like next month. Well, if you know that magic number of how many pitches it takes to get one sale and you need two sales, you just do double that, right? It's a predict it's it is a predictable process. Is it the most fun process? No. It's not. Um but and it already, is really you were saying that you've had trouble getting them from pitches, right? Getting clients from pitches on Upwork. So I would say that the the way it's a little bit different on Uplink is you have two you have two ways to get clients. So either they come directly to you. Uh, that's how I got most of my mm-hmm. clients on Uplink. Mm-hmm. So I cannot pitch them first. They just come to me and say, "Hey, I have this project. Are you interested in working on it?" Mm-hmm. And then you have the jobs that are posted. And with those, I would say I have a very low. Um, the closing rate on those projects are pretty low, just because the rates of many people applying on those open posts, uh, open jobs are pretty low, so much lower mm. than what I asked mm. um, So that's just why I'm still doing it just to stay up in the algorithm, but yeah. it, I usually don't close much from those, at least not in the last 18 months. Most of what I close is um, like, for example, yesterday I had a chief of operation of a private equity firm who came to me on Uplink and say, can you work on this project in the next two weeks? Uh, I spoke with him today and then I closed. And those, I have a closing rate that is really high, but I don't have the ability to reach out to more people. They reach out to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you are you limited by the number of connects you can use as well? Um, so when you apply for jobs, you can buy as many connects as you want, but they but are getting cost. more and more expensive. Yeah. But I would say that that to me that's not the biggest issue. It's it's really finding a nice contract that I'm interested in, where the rates is within what I would take. Mm. That is mm. the biggest issue. Well, okay, so so um, based off that, do you feel comfortable enough to to reach out to your current clients and ask for introductions? So I tried to do that a few months ago. I would say two months ago. Um, most of them said yes, but then I wasn't introduced to anyone. Um, some of them said that they didn't want to introduce me because they wanted to make sure that I would remain available, uh, in case they <laughs> need help in the coming months. Um, and others, I think, I think that that's one of my issue with data. Um, there is not a lot of awareness on how data can be useful for clients. So it's feel it's like, if you need a website, you're going to ask your friends if they know someone who can do a website and it's an easy, short-term, actionable thing that can be done. Um, it doesn't happen very often that you... We get people coming on the show all the time and here's what they say. I know you guys preach the importance of hiring, but where do I even start in order to hire the right person? Well, here's your answer. Start with LinkedIn Jobs. I've used LinkedIn to hire members of my team, and here's why you should too. First of all, it's super fast. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Imagine this time tomorrow, you could be interviewing your next team member. Plus, LinkedIn isn't just a job board, it helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Over 70% of active LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not hiring on LinkedIn, you're really missing out. My favorite part, posting a job on LinkedIn is completely free. Like I said, I've done it myself and it took like 10 minutes. It didn't cost me a thing. And suddenly I had tons of qualified applicants to pick from. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash freelance. That's linkedin.com slash freelance to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. 
that you know that you need about data and talk about it with your like mm-hmm. colleagues, partner, friends. Um, it's a very I feel like in that way, it's a little need. bit different. Data is more of a mid to long term. It's not a necessity in yeah. a way that you don't see the impact uh, right away. So you do need to have someone who is very convinced about the fact that data driven is actually a, a good thing for the business mid to long term. So I think it's a little bit more difficult with the introduction because if I come to someone's company and I say, hey, do you need someone with data? The first response is going to say mm-hmm. probably not, even yeah. though they do actually need it, but there's not a lot of awareness of how it can be like helpful I, for them. I think that with what you do, unless they are reaching out to you, right? So like, think about, the, think about the, the mentality of someone reaching out to you. They have already decided that they need yeah. data right they need data analysis right they need they need what you offer so it's a really easy close like this is what you offer they're reaching out to you so it's inbound so the the i think the the main issue with what you do is that it is not a transactional thing it's also the i don't think that it, it is a service that is super sophisticated in the market right and what i mean by that is if you compare it to websites everybody knows that you need a website it's just a mandatory thing if you're in business you have to have a website right um i don't know if that's i don't think that's the case with this like everybody knows data drives everything but do they actually do the things they they're supposed to do with data no because they're they're making a profit and that's all they know, right? They just keep doing the same thing without actually using the data. So I think where this, where what I would do, this is what I would do. It, it is a bit of a, a big play um, and it's going to cost you a lot of time and some money. Uh, but what I would do is I would go to all, I would go to the, like conferences and masterminds of where all these people are going and shake a bunch of hands. That's what I would do. I think this could also be maybe a search play depending on. Could be a search play. Yeah. You know, um, both search within Upwork and search outside of Upwork. Right. So, you know, I've, I've spoken with a few Upwork experts who, they just are constantly tweaking their Upwork profile to optimize it just like you would for SEO to get in the top search results in Google. You want to get in the top search results in Upwork um, when someone's searching. So, you know, I think doing some research on on Upwork SEO, basically Upwork optimization for profiles, I think could go a really long way. In addition, you know, you might experiment with some content on YouTube or a blog where you solve problems of your potential clients. And so when they are saying like, how do I, how do I visualize, you know, my data or how do I interpret my data or, you know, some of these kinds of questions, which I obviously don't know almost anything about. And so you're going to have to get real specific on some of those queries. You know, if they then show up to your website and you, and you can then funnel them into your system, that could be one way where you could convert your expertise into potential new clients but those are those are you know also less predictable um it's it's uh 
it is a challenge for sure to have a predictable pipeline. I would say over half of the people we get on the show say like, I don't know how to make my pipeline more predictable. And I think, I think one thing we're constantly talking about is figuring out not only how to make your pipeline predictable, but perhaps more importantly, how to make your revenue predictable through, um, through taking those client opportunities that you do have and building a product that they can pay for on a re- regular basis. And I don't mean to kick a dead horse here and, and come back to recurring revenue because we always talk about it. So we don't have to spend a ton, a ton of time here. But but I think when your pipeline is less predictable, it's important that your product is a more predictable uh, revenue style. So you can say like, if I close a client this month, it's going to bring me revenue for the next 90 days or the next six months or the next 12 months. So that's a little more uh, foreseeable what your business is going to be able to do. I agree with all that. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, think- really? What are you hearing over there? What do you, what do you think? Uh, where do we need to take the conversation from here? Um- when you say you want to make it more predictable with like the, the products and uh, how much revenue it brings in the coming months, it ties a lot with uh, the retainers and project-based uh, pricing. Um, mm-hmm. You talk a lot about it on the show. I listened to the workshop. Um, I think the the way where like the place where I struggle with it is you talk about how you need to qualify the clients during the sales process so that you only get the one that are not going to be uh, quote unquote, too, too needy and too time consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of struggling with, uh, with that aspect. So I've been trying to move away from the hourly and taking something that is more um, project-based. Um, I have not been able yet to do it with a retainer. And the reason why is it's very difficult. Uh, with data, you start with a small project and then it becomes a big one. Um, and it's difficult to estimate how long it's going to take with one client, knowing that it's a very mm-hmm. unpredictable amount of hours that I get month by month um, with them. What if, what if though, what if your offering was, um, I'll run this initial report and I'll help help parse your data for you. Yep. But then, you know, your data is going to constantly be changing, and and you don't you don't want to go off of old data to make your business decisions. And so every month I will update this report or I will update this, whatever, whatever your deliverable is, I'll update that right on a monthly basis. You send me the new data or, or every six months or three months, or every quarter, whatever you send me the new data, I will send you a fresh strategy report, whatever you're coming up with. It's that a deliverable is to your client. So every, every, report that I provide is kind of real-time data. So it's, it would refresh whenever you have new data coming from the system. So it doesn't require uh, anyone's input to kind of update it. So clients would always get the most up-to-date uh, data. Okay. The way it could work is if you have new data source, new data requirement on your project that you want to work on. But then it would be an entirely uh, new project every time. So you're you're building some sort of like data studio dashboard of some kind where they're they're actually interacting with real-time data yeah visualization what do you build okay. it on power bi what is it power bi oh it's Microsoft. power it's power bi it's sort of like it's sort of like google data studio or what do they call that now google looker do you and do kind of like tableau yeah so you have tableau power bi are kind of the two big players um then you have looker uh data studio um that are 
a little bit less yeah. advanced and then you have like yeah. hundreds okay. of smaller smaller players. So so they get they can look at the data but like do they know what they're looking at? Uh, what do you mean by do they know what they're looking at? Well that's I think that's what Aureli sets up, right? Is you you set it up so it's visually you can, yeah. you can navigate that's the, goal, the data. Is that someone with uh, a non-data person and has no clue how data works can just look at the dashboards and have access to the information that they need. But, so we do a lot of work with uh, understanding the requirement of the business and the requirement of every category of person who's going to be using the dashboard because you obviously don't do the same thing for the CEO mm -hmm. than for the account manager. Um, and we build it in a way that makes it super easy where we say my grandmother should be able to look at it and find information easily. So do they know what to do with it though? So what I usually do is, um, so the change usually comes from senior management. So the team is not always willing to get started with it. So what we do is we do workshops with specific case study to show how it can help them in their day to day so that they don't see it as a, extra thing that they need to be doing on a weekly basis, but something that's actually going to help them be more efficient at what they are already doing. So that it frees time to do what they like um, a little bit more. Okay. I'm just trying, so I'm asking these questions because I'm trying to figure out if there is a reason to keep paying you for your expertise and your mm -hmm. knowledge outside of the data of what they're looking at. So what I've heard, um, I started reaching out to people that I know, showing my business um, in the last few weeks. And something that came up was they understood that my pricing was I charge a first fee to kind of set up um, a report and mm -hmm. then a monthly uh, retainer for the first uh, one or two years where um, I'm here in case they need to change something because the requirement is changing or if now, yeah. uh, for example, they tracking, um, we're tracking uh, sales and then they got a big change in Black Friday during Black Friday and they need help understanding what's <clears throat> happening because they, they don't have the capabilities mm -hmm. and I would mm -hmm. help through a small request. Um, the issue is that what I've seen with my clients usually each report that I do requires like minimal intervention after that. It's okay. more, uh, they build something and then they realize that they could do so many other things with it. And then they want to build completely new things all the time. So, all right. So here is, is there uh, what, what do you provide? Uh, so answer this. What do you provide that is outside of the actual technician type work of building out the reporting? Everything is in the platform, so I cannot. Do you, well. Do you provide some sort of like expertise that you like an analysis from yes. you, from you? Yeah. Like what um, does? So here's the data. Here's do, what it means. Yeah. yeah, that's usually what we do the first time to train the team so that they get empowered to actually do it themselves. But then, if I've done my job correctly, they don't need me after to keep on doing the analysis. See, and I think I think you're putting yourself out of your your you're teaching them how to do your job. That's like a graphic designer going in and teaching a whole team how to use Photoshop. Yeah. And then they don't need the designer anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that would I think be that's as if you set up one like one type of uh, Photoshop campaign and then they need to do minimal tweaking to it to be able to change like 
the dates on the percentage or something like this. Yeah. Quite I'm, if well, Go ahead, Clay. Well, I'm just trying to picture myself in, in, the, sh- in the shoes of, of one of your clients, right? Like I have all this data. Let's just say I'm the guy that owns a bu- uh, all, 100 Wendy's. I have all this data. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong, the way the current situation, what you've done is they paid you to analyze all this data, put together this reporting, and and you 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 created this reporting studio, so to speak, and it pops out automatic reports every month. Is that and correct? You, and you train the team and you train the team or the person how to read those reports. Yes, correct. Okay. So what I would do, right? Like I I would if I were you, I would approach someone like this the Wendy's person and say, "Hey, I will set up the the studio reports for you. Here's my setup fee. And then on an ongoing monthly retainer, I will send you monthly like not you'll get the monthly reports but I will put my commentary as far as my expertise of what that actual data means to you and how you can make more money or save more money with using the data that's presented in front of you. Interesting. Cuz I, I I would imagine like a business owner Sure, they're going to see all the data, but I want somebody to tell me how, like, certain things that I can do that's going to save me a lot of money or it's going to make me a lot of money. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I think training people on making their own analysis is is where there's a missed opportunity. Yes, I agree. Um, if you remain the expert, then you remain in demand, right? And so you can set up these reports and they can look at them all they want. But if you, but if you, and maybe that's one package, right? Maybe you still have one package where it's like, I will come in, I'll set it up, I'll train your team and then I'm gone. But I would price that high. Yeah. Yeah. It's a high one-time fee or you can pay a lower upfront fee and then a monthly retainer fee, and I will give you a monthly assessment of the data. I will make any adjustments that you need on the data, on the on the visualiz- visualization or anything like that. Um, anytime you need me to add new data points, or you know you have special promotions like Black Friday, I can come in and adjust that. And it's going to be a lower monthly fee, but more revenue for you already over time. Yeah. Yep. Perfect. How's that striking you, you? Does that seem feasible? I think so, yeah. I, I just need to start setting it up. And that's also one of the reasons why I want to take it outside of a punk is it's naturally the mm-hmm. pricing structure within mm. a punk. A punk is more mm-hmm. yeah. by the Upwork, hour or by the project. Um, yeah, Upwork to me, it, it, I think by default, people think hourly. Or or I fixed. Think I, I, I think it's by default like a... with smaller projects. Uh, what I've seen, at least in the last three to six months, is I have more and more people coming with me to me for bigger projects that are project based. Hmm. But there's yeah. not a recurring option, right? No, uh, I think there is one. I've never had any client use it with me. 
Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. most people are not on Upwork looking for a long-term anything. Although I have a friend who actually works in in very similar field as you, Aureli. His name's Andy. And in fact, if people want to listen to Andy's story, we podcasted over the first year of his freelancing. He quit his job, started freelancing on Upwork, and we we chatted every week about it. Um, you can you can check that out at milo.co slash podcasts, or the podcast is called My Freelance Life. But, um, you know, it's interesting. He has some clients that he from, I mean, that was five years ago, six years ago, and he still works with those clients, but they do still pay him hourly, right? And so there's, it's really, it is really an interesting conundrum with the marketplace. Um, I think the key is going to be, like we said before, going and networking with some people, making yourself known, showing up in some search, maybe um, a lot of cold out, I would say a lot of cold outreach at this stage in your business. Um, Those connections from other clients are going to be critical. I think you follow up with that, where if they said they would, you follow up and follow up and follow up until they do, Uh, you know. I I definitely have long-term relationship with most of my clients. Um, Yeah. I would say 50% of them, I work with them on a very regular basis. Is it is it monthly though? No, that's the thing. So for example, yeah. with Gallison, I started with them uh, three years ago. I've sometimes three months with nothing and then I have one month with a lot of work. Um, yeah, that's so very hard. unreliable. It depends on yeah. like... I would pitch them something. So, yeah. I would yeah. pitch them something. I would, I would put together a monthly recurring retainer and pitch them. I would pitch all or, of them, honestly. Or, or if you're, if there's some you're really comfortable with, ask them. I'm uh, looking the at trying is, to expand my business and be, you know, build in some recurring revenue into my business so I can be around to help you for a long time. What kind of value could I bring you on a regular basis that would be worth it for you, right? If if you're comfortable with them and you have a good relationship with them, that could be really telling. That could be really interesting. So the the thing is, for example, when I look at at Gallison, the, what, the money that I made with them this month, because I had a very big project with them this month, I could never price it as a monthly because dividing it by 12 would seems like a very high amount of money for a monthly thing if you don't know if you're going to need someone. What I could do with a monthly retainer just so that I kind of ensure that I'm going to be working with them if they need me. Yeah, you can... So based you can... on those clients, yeah. Yeah, you can pitch them like a, a some sort of monthly like core offer with with the and you have this conversation with the understanding that if there's something custom outside of that work scope, then you can price it accordingly. Um but I I yeah, I would try to put something together that's monthly and, and pitch them. Perfect. And I would make I sure that, that the I the the package that you offer where you train their team if it were me, impressive. Maybe you have a different take mm, on it. No, is I no. would, I would pitch it pretty high to where it's almost a no-brainer to just go the monthly route. Yep. So you wouldn't do option one is lower than the option two. You would almost do option one is higher than the option two. Wait, yeah. what? Do you... If you're going to come in and offer a custom, high-touch, very personal training to their people, specific to their data. Mm-hmm. then you charge more for that. Yeah. So if I'm just making, I'm making up numbers here. Okay. So like, let's just say your setup fee to build all this stuff out is 
three thousand U.S. dollars, right? Um, you can pitch them to where you will train their team, and then they could do it on their own, or you can pitch them monthly. But like, what I would do is, if they want to just you want if they just want you to train their team, I would probably price that at like ten thousand dollars. But the monthly option maybe is like a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars a month. Okay. I mean, and the, here, the, the reason is is because you you are giving away your knowledge, which is not giving away. You're selling your knowledge. You know what I mean? Yep. That's that's very I think, valuable. I think too, if a client is willing to pay a large amount up front, they're going to be willing to pay us that amount divided over you know divided by twelve months or twenty four months. Um, it might look like a scary monthly amount to you, but you have to consider the value that you would be bringing to the client. So if they spend, you know, $500 a month with you, but it means they make an extra $20,000 because they have monthly data reports from an expert, that's a no-brainer, right? So I think it's important to keep in mind your your potential value on a on a recurring or repeat basis with your clients as well and that'll that'll help you overcome some of that imposter syndrome that i'm sensing a little bit where it's like well i you know a monthly would just be that would be too much money mm. um true yeah oh really is there anything we've left out we're coming up on the end of the episode here is there anything else you want to chat about today uh no i had another question but i think it's gonna be it's a too big question for the last few minutes of an episode well, yeah, what if you uh, submitted it to our Q&A episodes? You can do that at freelance2founder.com slash ask. Anyone listening, listening can do that when we try to tackle your questions. We'd love to do that. Or if it's really a big question, we'd love to have you back. But in any case, thank you so much for joining us today. And um, will you let people know where they can connect with you? Maybe there's someone listening who needs your services. Uh, sure. My website is called datadriven.co. Simple, easy to remember. Yep. I love it. Aureli, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I've been Preston with Milo.co and Clay Mosley from GetDripify.com, and we will talk to you guys next time. See ya. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Freelance to Founder, a collaboration between Milo, Dripify, and the Podglomerate. You can find links to my business, Milo, Clay's business, Dripify, and of course, our podcasting partner, The Podglomerate, all in the description of this episode. Remember to call in for your own episode at FreelanceToFounder.com. A very special thank you to the members of the Milo and Podglomerate teams who work behind the scenes to make this production possible. To stream past episodes, visit FreelanceToFounder.com or search FreelanceToFounder wherever you get your podcasts. And that's it for now. Until next time, see ya. We will see you guys on the next episode of Freelance to Founder.